Today we're going to be looking at uh, the Gospel of Matthew, the end of chapter 11, if you want to make your way there as we're, as we're moving along. But we are continuing to think about worship, and this morning I want to sort of frame our, our lens or perspective on worship through this theme of rest. Is it possible that rest is part of how we worship? In our small group this past week, uh, we started out by trying to answer a pretty simple question. The, the study guide asked, right now, are you busier than you'd like to be? You know, somewhere on a scale of 1 to 10, where would you put yourself and how busy are you? And across the board, everybody in that living room said they were busier than they'd like to be. And that they are sort of perpetually busier than they like to be. I think most of us, the, the more common answer today, if you ask someone in your, your kind of daily rounds, how are you doing today? Probably the most common response I get is busy. Right? Really busy. Lots going on. And very few of us have much margin left in our life. One of our friends uh, many years back was uh, a global vice president for a multinational company in China. And that meant that he spent basically almost every, you know, three weeks out of a month circumnavigating the globe on an airplane. He was in a different country every three or four days doing meetings with, with their various partners. He was always on conference calls in the middle of the night back to Asia to catch up on what was happening. And I remember him saying that he, over time, sort of no longer knew where home was. His body didn't really understand the concept of time zones, because he was never in one place long enough to catch up. And so uh, one morning, we were over at their apartment for breakfast, and he said, hey, Dave, I slept like seven or eight hours last night in a row. And I said, that, that's great. And he goes, no, actually, I feel terrible. He said, my body doesn't know, like, I, I feel uncomfortable, sort of, you know, strange, like I don't know how to be still for that long. Almost like I'm allergic to the idea of rest anymore. And regardless of, of how much we hate being busy or we, you know, sort of recognize the, the effect and the toll it takes on who we are in our relationships and our stress levels, it seems that most of us don't seem to be able to do anything about it. Right? Why is it that we notice this is a problem but we don't actually stop? Now, of course, there, there are many sort of things carrying us along. There are expectations and pressures we're responding to. But I also think there's probably, at least in me, something inside of me that believes if I start to do less, then that may be an indication that I am less. Right? I, I have less worth. I fear if I, if I stop that I may, might drop something or miss out on something, something that's needed or I want to do, or someone else might require me to do. And the result is that somehow I will have less significance as a person. But one of the, the people who has helped challenge me as a, as a pastor and as a person to rethink 
busyness and its, its value, right? Often we think of busyness as a virtue. But Eugene Peterson says this. He says that busyness is, in fact, a kind of laziness in disguise. And he writes of himself, I am busy because I am lazy. I indolently let others decide what I will do instead of resolutely deciding myself. We defer to the pressures and demands outside of us. And he says, as a result, I find myself frantically at the, at the last minute trying to satisfy half a dozen different demands on my time, none of which are essential, right? Because we have not made the decision. We haven't stopped. We haven't done something about it. In our laziness, we've failed to address this issue. And that hits home for me. It's not a comfortable statement to think about. But if there's truth in Eugene Peterson's claim here, then for us to become unbusy requires focus, right? It requires intention. It's actually a kind of resistance in our lives to stop. Real rest doesn't accidentally happen. We have to choose it. And so my big question for us this morning is, is it possible that rest is actually a discipleship issue? Is it possible that in order to be a growing, maturing follower of Jesus Christ, we actually need to practice rest? We need to draw our rest from Jesus. And so this morning I want to look in Matthew chapter 11 and consider again how rest is part of worship. Rest is a means by which we enjoy God. We we trust more deeply in his goodness and his provision for us. And rest can be a powerful place where we experience his love for us. So if you turn with me to Matthew 11, starting in verse 28. Let me pray for us as we look at God's word. Lord, thank you that you have created us to know you, to walk with you, to enjoy you, to depend on you. Lord, thank you that you are the creator, and that means you are committed to sustaining and providing and caring for all that you have created. Lord, I just pray if we have inverted that, if we have taken that burden upon ourselves today, that you would enable us to surrender it and to experience your great rest. Lord, may the words of my mouth as I teach, may the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 11, verse 28 through 30. This is Jesus speaking to the crowds. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden 
is light. The message translation of this same passage has Jesus asking or inviting in the form of a question, verse 28. It reads, Are you tired? Are you worn out? Burned out on religion? I think that's a question many of us can connect with. If I had to venture a guess, probably many of us, our answer this morning might be yes. Some of of my very best attempts to be a spiritual person can leave me feeling overloaded, worn out, burned out. All of the the programs and ideas and expectations that that can feel exciting at the the start when when we begin something new in our walk with the Lord eventually can feel like we're pulling a heavy burden over time. I wonder for you on Sunday mornings, is, is coming to this place, does it, does it feel like you're entering into the rest and the goodness and the provision of God, the worship of who he is? Or does it feel exhausting? Are you carrying a heavy load on Sundays? Jesus' invitation here is for us to stop And to consider what kinds of burdens we may be carrying around today. And I would would ask you to think about that right now. What what are you carrying with you at this very moment in in a Sunday morning space? What have you been carrying with you through this week? Pulling behind you? The question is not only what is that burden, but... Why are you carrying it? Should you be carrying it? Where has that come from? In Jesus' day, it was common for the rabbis to teach about uh, the people of Israel being yoked to God's law. And the way this teaching was, was understood, right, it's, a, it's sort of an agrarian metaphor. If you picture a pair of oxen or draft animals... They would put their head and their shoulders under this yoke. And then they would would do the work of of cultivating and and producing and plowing together. And the rabbis taught that a person should be yoked to God's commandments, to the Torah, to the law of God. And, And by doing so, they could live out their identity as God's chosen people. Right? To be yoked with the law was, was a privilege. It was a distinction. It mattered. But according to Jesus, we see elsewhere in the Gospel of Matthew, he says that in his time, this yoke became burdensome, became expansive. And, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the, the lawyers who were interpreting Torah, right, expanded upon what God was asking and requiring of his people. They wanted to make sure that they didn't disappoint or fail or miss some piece or part of the law. So Jesus says that the load became burdensome. It became heavy. It was too heavy for anyone to pull any longer. Even the Pharisees and the experts of the law. And this is why wherever Jesus goes, the crowds he addresses 
are, are weary. They're in need of rest. A few chapters back before this passage, Matthew 8 or 9, I believe, Jesus looks out on the crowds and it says he has compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Right? They, were, they were distressed. In large part because this was the expectation of their, their spiritual existence. But in verse 28 here, Jesus promises that if the weary will come to him, he will take off this yoke of spiritual industriousness and, and expectations. So that, that these crowds, these followers, his disciples could breathe a little. If you have a, a yoke of burden or expectation, Jesus would invite you too to, to come to him and, and to let him briefly lift that yoke from your shoulders and rest. But interestingly enough, as commentator Frederick Bruner notes, Jesus' solution to this problem is not to give the weary an extended vacation. It's not to give them a mattress to lay down on. In fact, Jesus' solution is to actually hand that yoke back to us. Only this time he encourages us to choose a different partner to enter into it. Look at verses 29 and 30. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Jesus says, walk with with me for this next stretch and you will find that I am gentle and humble in heart. Learn from me what what it is to follow God, to, to do the work of spiritual growth and maturity and worship But notice that I am in this yoke beside you. A personal presence. Not just any person, but but the person of God incarnate in Jesus. And this is a far easier, Jesus says, a far lighter way to live than going at these things alone. Or on the, the basis of expectation. For you and I, if we find that we are weary or or harried or heavy laden, those are probably clues to us that very likely we've stuck our necks in the wrong yoke or we've invited the wrong partner to, to drive that other side of the equation. Because to put on the yoke of Jesus, he says, is, is to know rest to know a lightness, even as we work, even as we labor. And I think to put on the yoke of Jesus is something that, that, at least in my experience, I have to choose multiple times a day. It means laying down my propensity to try to pull at God or lead him in a direction that I would wish to be going. And to stop and instead allow Jesus to lead me where I meant to go. And that's, that's the beginning of spiritual rest. So Jesus invites us to know the, the worship, the lightness, the restoration of putting on his yoke of rest. But practically speaking, I think we also need ways to know how we do that in contemporary life. Right? How do we navigate the obstacles and the things that would corrupt or prevent or keep us from the rest Jesus desires to give us. 
And in the very next set of verses here, as chapter 12 begins, we see Jesus interfacing with the obstacles to rest in his day. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. At that time, so just after speaking to the crowds about his yoke of rest, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, a day of rest. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Jesus answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priest on the Sabbath on the Sabbath day, that the priest on the Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. If you had not known what these words mean, if you had known, I'm sorry, if you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So we have Jesus speaking to the crowds at the end of chapter 11, and there he is teaching about rest. And now as chapter 12 begins, Jesus shows us rest. Actually, the the whole of chapter 12 is basically a series of stories about how Jesus chose to spend his Sabbath days when all of of Israel was supposed to be resting and and the controversies that then ensued because of Jesus' interactions. And here we find in verse 1 that Jesus and his disciples on one particular Sabbath day decide to go out for a stroll probably a short distance through the the neighboring village where they're staying. And along the way, some of his disciples grab a a little whole grain snack from the fields nearby. They're, They're hungry, maybe the middle of the day, we don't know. But just as they are about to, to partake of this gift, this goodness, right, out jump the Sabbath police. And they spoil the whole thing. And their accusation to Jesus is is that he is doing something that is unlawful. It's inconsistent with the teaching of Torah. They interpret the work of harvesting as, as work, as a violation of the Sabbath day. And of course, the whole thing begins to to smack of a kind of legalistic piety to us. As one of my old New Testament professors, Rick Watts, put it. Who are these guys that are hiding out in a grain field on the Sabbath day just waiting to catch somebody? What kind of person does that? Something in their view of rest and worship seems out of balance to us here. And my guess is most of us are not pharisaical in our approach to rest and Sabbath. But it's, it's probably this kind of thing, this kind of approach that's made many of us suspicious about the whole idea of of Sabbath-keeping or resting in the first place. Right? We we associate the Sabbath and and these rules with heavy lifting. 
We're afraid we're going to get tangled up in this mess of legalism when what we really long for is rest. And so I think in many cases we've sort of tossed the baby out with the bathwater. We've, we've set aside any serious commitment or boundary to, to rest and to worship because we don't want to go down this road. We don't want to sabotage the Sabbath. But I think Jesus would push us to reconsider. Because if we go back to, to Genesis 1, the beginning of Torah, the beginning of God's law, right, we see that after God had consummated creation, he, he made the heavens and the earth in six days. He made man and woman in his image. And then on the seventh day, God chose to give that creation a gift. Right, the gift of Sabbath rest. He chose to stop. He chose to rest. And he gave us the gift of that rest in order to keep us, to find our rest in him. The the seventh day was set apart as as a day to marvel at the goodness of God as creator, as a person who, who has made a people to know him. Jesus will say in the Gospel of Mark that God has made Sabbath for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's meant to keep us. And so in verses 3 through 8 here, Jesus responds to the Pharisees. And he highlights these examples in, in Scripture where God balances both his commitment to holiness and worship with our well-being as, as the people that he loves. Jesus says in 1 Samuel 21, David, in his great hunger, is, is given permission to eat the consecrated bread that was set apart for the priests. Jesus says every Sabbath day in the temple, God permits the priests to continue working on that day in order that, that worship may continue, that the people of Israel may be cared for. And that the the worship of God may be sustained. Jesus says something greater than even the temple is present now in him. And so Jesus says, my disciples can pick of the grain and eat it on a Sabbath day because it's an expression of God's good gift to them, of of his care. Their their eating is an expression of their rest in God. God's provision for them. And in verses 7 and 8, Jesus says the Sabbath is not primarily about judgment and guilt. Instead, it's about mercy and kindness. Right? The, the Sabbath is reveling in worship, reveling in the presence of God with us. It's about delighting. It's about being yoked with Jesus, right? The Lord, he says, of all Sabbath rest. I am the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus would say. So instead of giving up on the Sabbath, I think what Jesus is intending to do here is to reclaim its goodness, its purpose. Right? But in order to receive and recover that rest, we have to stop. We actually have to do something to receive it. Katie and I met as teachers at a very academically competitive international school overseas. And we, we did a variety of things, but part of our job was to work in student development 
And that meant that we often had students coming to our office for uh, appointments. And they would complain about how they were juggling advanced placement courses and college applications and homework. And, And the net result was that they were only sleeping two or three hours every night their last year of high school. And they felt like every teacher, every parental figure in their life just kind of kept adding one more thing, one more set of expectations for them to keep up with. And so occasionally Katie and I said, all right, if you've got all these assignments to deal with, well, we're going to give you one more assignment. For the next 20 minutes, you're going to lay down on the sofa in our office and you're going to sleep because no one else is telling you to to notice that limit to observe your physical limitation and rest. Until they actually rested, right? Their their minds, their spirits, their bodies were incapable of really performing and, and doing the things that they were being asked to do. And I think in a similar way, this is what God is inviting us to do by having regular times of rest and worship. Not only on our Sunday, but also in our, in our Monday to Friday world as well. So I want to challenge you this morning to, to take this, this idea of rest seriously. Right? As a command from God to you because he loves you. Because he wants to express his care for you. Because he wants you to know the fullness and the goodness of who he is as your God. And if you feel like you're too busy to rest then ask God for help. This would be a matter of prayer. But in addition to that, I just want to give two very practical suggestions in the week ahead. Two pieces of homework, so to speak. The first would be for today. Sunday, for most of us, is the closest thing we have to a day of rest or worship. And it might not be perfect. It might be hard to think about a 24-hour stretch at this point. But let me challenge you to find 30 minutes today. Think about from the time you leave here today until the time you go to sleep. Is there a 30-minute block that you haven't filled in yet? And for that half an hour, could you choose today to do something that gives you rest? Something that, that you enjoy, that you find pleasure in. Maybe to take a walk, to bake, to to nap, whatever it is. But as you do that, as you choose to do that, make sure it's something you can do with an awareness that you're doing it in God's presence. You're doing it as, as a way to notice his, his presence with you, his care for you, his provision for you. That it's part of his good gift to you. Right, that's a step towards Sabbath rest. It might not be a whole day, but it's, it's 30 minutes. So figure out where, where that might be today. And then the second part of the challenge would be for tomorrow. And I'd encourage you to, to get out your day timer or your smartphone, if that's something you use, and try to find 10 minutes in the middle of your Monday. Okay? The idea here would be something after breakfast, but before dinner. 10 minutes. And if it's helpful, I stuck one of these cards in the bulletins this week. It has those verses from the end of Matthew 11, that invitation from Jesus. 
And somewhere in the middle of your day, you know, plug it into your calendar today before you get into your Monday. And for those 10 minutes, just stop whatever you're doing. If you're at an office, maybe you you walk down the hall for 10 minutes. You take a a coffee break at your desk. If you work outside, maybe you, you you find a place where for 10 minutes you can stop and you can remember the invitation of Jesus to come and to put on his yoke. Right, that he cares for you. That he doesn't expect more of you than you can give. But then after those ten minutes, step back into the work you're doing, the, the list of, of, of items you have to satisfy for the rest of the day. And, and remember, go forward into the rest of the day with this idea that you are yoked with Jesus. That he is beside you in the work you do. And desires to give you rest, even, even as you do the work you do. To walk with Jesus, right, to be yoked with him, is to be in his company, right, to, to live life at a pace that's his pace and, and with the sense that his strength is pulling us forward. As we consider what it is to, to draw sustenance and strength from Jesus, we're also invited not just to rest in him, but to feed on him. And today we have that invitation in the Lord's table.